So this theme, um, this theme of forgiveness, this practice of forgiveness that I'd like to uh, bring into into our consciousness, into our practice, our formal practice. When we talk about the power of letting go, which I talked about last week, um, the necessity in order to let go of clinging, that we actually... um, are making an effort to let go of the dukkha or the unsatisfactoriness in our life. That action of letting go can look like and take many different forms. And one of the forms it takes is in this practice of forgiveness, needing to forgive. Perhaps it's needing to forgive a specific person. Maybe it's needing to forgive all beings in some way. Maybe it's needing to forgive ourself. But the process of letting go into this forgiveness is the process of letting go of our clinging to this samsaric uh, cycle of uh, unsatisfactoriness, of suffering, in our life. It's a really powerful practice. And it's one in which we've actually been taught since we were little kids, right? We were taught how to ask, say, I'm sorry, and we were taught how to forgive. Um, so this isn't something that is necessarily new for any of us, but it's certainly a practice that I think. Um, needs to be brought back into our consciousness over and over and over again. It's a practice because we are relational beings. We are constantly coming up against each other in some way. Sometimes it's in ways where we experience harm or we cause harm. And so because of this, we, we need this practice. We need to keep bringing it back into our life and revisiting it. It has a very strong place in the Buddhist tradition. Um, We see it uh, really well uh, demonstrated in the monastic communities. The tradition of forgiveness has a very strong place in our monastic communities here. And I want to talk a little bit about that and talk about how we can relate those practices into our, our life as lay people. First, though, I'll, I'll just quote, uh, I'll quote the Buddha to show what he thought about this practice of forgiveness, that he had really strong feelings about the practice of forgiveness. He states, There are two fools... Which two? The one who does not see his or her transgression as a transgression, and the one who doesn't rightfully pardon another who has confessed to his or her transgression. 
These two are fools. These two are wise. Which two? The one who sees his or her transgression as a transgression, and the one who rightfully pardons another who has confessed to his or her transgression. These two are wise. So the Buddha didn't hold uh, confession about our unwise actions as something to uh, feel sinful about. Uh, he held it in, in a way that allowed us to uh, actually feel really good about the action of asking for forgiveness and for admitting our unwholesome actions. That that's something that is quite noble to be able to do to deny our transgressions, to deny our unwholesome actions, uh, is the opposite. It's not very noble. It creates more dukkha. It creates more suffering for ourselves and for other people. And so he created uh, in his communities at the time of his life a culture around forgiveness a culture around being able to admit when we mess up. And this was a very... um, (laughs) In a way, it was a very forgiving culture to be able to come in and admit something that uh, you did wrong and ask for forgiveness. And I feel like we have that here in our larger culture, in some respects. And then we also don't. I think it's really easy for us to hold a grudge, to deny when we've done something wrong and maybe try to avert attention to what we've done by pointing at somebody else. Well, maybe I did that, but they did this. (laughs) Or they said this, and so I did this. There's something uh, in a way that feels more safe, I think, initially, for most of us. There's something a little risky and maybe really vulnerable to be able to admit when we've done something wrong or when we've been hurtful. There's something really vulnerable and perhaps risky about offering forgiveness when somebody does admit that they did something wrong. Perhaps we feel like they need to continue to pay for what they've done. Or perhaps there's something about holding on to our, our grudge or um, our feelings against that person that feels valid and in some way because of that feels good. You know, it, it helps us solidify this sense of ourself against this other person or this grouping of people. And there might be something slightly comforting about that. But when I say it out loud, we can see, we can feel even uh, the dissonance the suffering that comes along with that, when we 
pit ourselves against another person, when we hold on to our anger, our resentment, that's painful. It might be painful to the other person, which is perhaps why we do it. We want them to feel the way we feel. But even more so, it's hurting us. We are creating our own dukkha at that point, our own suffering. The Buddha, there's a quote that's used all the time about holding on to anger as if grasping onto a hot coal with the intent of throwing it at someone else. And of course, the punchline is that you are the one that gets burned. And this is true about holding on to that anger and that resist, uh, resentment against somebody else. It's true when we do it through ourselves, too. When there's something about ourselves that we can't quite forgive. Sometimes we're the last person that we come around to in a scenario and realize, oh, I need to forgive myself. And so we're just holding on to that hot coal, ready to throw it in any direction. But yeah, in the end, it's us. It's, it's, it's our suffering that we are creating over and over and over again. You know, I can, I can think of several um, situations in my own life where I was holding on to that hot coal and felt a lot of anger and resentment towards somebody and towards a certain situation. And every time, I may not have dwelled on it every second of the day, but every time that person or that situation came up, I could feel the tightness in my body and the anger arise just by the mention of that particular person. How many of you have experienced something similar to this? Yeah. (laughs) We don't mean to do it. You know, it's a habit. It's a habit of mind. It's a habit that's rooted in hatred and delusion. That's way down at the root of where this is coming from. But way at the surface, uh, especially if we're not seeing it for what it really is, it seems justified we feel it's being done to us. That reemergence of anger, frustration, sadness. But actually, we, we are just sitting there with our hot coal. That other person in scenario may not even be around anymore. And so it's really us that's creating this. So this forgiveness practice is a compassion practice in many ways. It's lending our our compassion towards the difficult. Compassion is this uh, ability to keep the heart open in face of the suffering and of the difficult. So in many ways, in order to begin the forgiveness process, we engage in the compassion practice. Acknowledging its difficulty, acknowledging the suffering that's there, 
and inclining towards letting go of the clinging to it. This isn't easy to do. I was really inspired today. Actually, this is what inspired just to talk about this. Um, I read a commentary by Tanisaro Bhikkhu on the theme of, of forgiveness. And I thought this was really an interesting take. I really enjoyed it. So I want to read a little bit about what he says. He says, The Pali word for forgiveness, kama, K-H-A-M-A, different from kama or karma, also means the earth. I've never heard that before. A mind like the earth is non-reactive and unperturbed. When you forgive me for harming you, you decide to not to retaliate, to seek no revenge. You don't have to like me. You simply unburden yourself of the weight of resentment and cut the cycle of retribution that would otherwise keep us ensnarled in an ugly, samsaric wrestling match. I love that line. This is a gift that you give to both of us, totally on your own, without me having to know or understand what you have done. So this act of forgiveness, I'll read this part again, cuts the cycle of retribution that would otherwise keep us ensnarled in an ugly samsaric, which is that cycle of rebirthing, of ignorance, of dukkha. Keeps us ensnarled in an ugly samsaric wrestling match. When we don't forgive, I feel like that's what what it's like. When we're holding so tight to that resentment, there's no room for relationship with the other person, with the transgressor. But even more than that, we are just left there wrestling with it. Sometimes and oftentimes on our own, which is really unsatisfying. (laughs) And so I love how Tanisaro Biko talks about it as a gift that we give both to ourselves and the other person. And that it's not one that we even need to do with the other person there. We don't have to have that person in front of us in order to offer forgiveness. That it's something that is done internally within ourselves. It's not something that anyone can make us do. It's something that we have to come to on our own. And so in that way, in that respect, it is a practice. It's something that we actually cultivate within ourselves. Now, I also really like that Tanisaro Buku, uh, who, by the way, is, if, you don't, or if you're not familiar with who he is, um, he's a, the abbot of Wat Metta, which is a monastery in Southern California. And he's also a prolific writer. I can guarantee, in fact, I can see he's got a couple of books up here um, and writes and uh, translates 
the Pali Canon or the, the scriptures of the Buddha and has wonderful commentaries that are free online at access to insight.org. So he's very accessible. So anyway, within this particular commentary, he goes on to make a distinction between forgiveness and reconciliation, which I really appreciated, because that's where my mind goes next. Well, what if this person did something really heinous? Then what? Are we supposed to just forgive and forget? Are we supposed to mend that relationship? And so this is what he says. Reconciliation means to return to, amic- amic- return to amicability. Is that right? <laughs> amicability. Thank you. And that requires more than forgiveness. It requires the reestablishing of trust. If I deny responsibility for my actions or maintain that I did nothing wrong, there's no way we can be reconciled. Similarly, if I insist that your feelings don't matter or that you have no right to hold me to your standards of right and wrong, you won't trust me. You won't trust me not to hurt you again. To To regain your trust, I have to show my respect for you and for our mutual standards of what is and is not acceptable behavior. To admit that I hurt you and that I was wrong to do so and to promise to exercise restraint in the future. This is, renunci- uh, this is where the path of reconciliation is born. So it's a really important distinction. And this comes actually out of the practices that are practiced among the, uh, the, the monastics in this tradition. That it's not just about come forgive and, we'll, we'll, and everything will be okay. You know, come admit you're wrong, we forgive you, and we'll all move on. Uh, it's more complicated th- than that. And it is more complicated than that in our, in our lay life. So we've probably all encountered that where there's some things that maybe we can forgive, but reconciliation isn't necessarily possible. And so what, how do we hold that in this practice? So I'll share with you a little bit about what they do among the monks. There's actually uh, a process that I, I'm breaking down into a three-step process. So the first one, when there's been some kind of transgression, is that the, the two parties or the, the two groups come together and the one actually admits their wrongdoing. This is the first step. It's not just asking for forgiveness, but actually coming into contact with, with our own accountability. And it might be that both sides need to do that coming in contact with each, each party's accountability. This is, what, this is what I did in this situation. And then from there, asking for forgiveness. And not just asking for forgiveness, but promising to restrain or refrain from future actions like this one. 
so that there's some new accountability that I understand this was wrong and I promise that I'll do everything I can not to do this again. This is, this is important. And then from there, it's really up to the other person to offer the forgiveness. And this is where the Buddha says to hang on to resentment at this point, uh, to not offer forgiveness, actually uh, is an unwise act. That you're just creating your own dukkha at that point. And then I would say, even if the person who's done you wrong, maybe they don't come up and do all of these steps. But still, we know that uh, we've been wronged and that we're holding on to our feelings, our relationship to that wrongness and what that's doing to us. Even then, once you see that, then it's unwise not to engage and begin to incline towards forgiveness. Even if there hasn't been this process of asking for it. Now, if there's been a major offense in the monastic tradition, then the two parties must look at the root of the wrongdoing. So, no longer just looking at what was the overall action, but looking at the root of the wrongdoing. And so, to look to see if there was purpose, if it was done purposefully, uh, in a malice way, or if there was uh, purposeful untruth. If there was purposeful deceit. So was this person trying to cause harm? In which case, uh, Tanasaro Bhikkhu says, there may not be a chance for reconciliation. Because... To have reconciliation, the trust is crucial. If we know that somebody has done something purposefully to harm us, it's very hard to come back into relationship with that person and fully trust that person. So this is interesting too. Sometimes I think that we want to so badly forgive and forget. Perhaps we feel like the answer to our own um, freedom is to gloss over uh, the root of the cause, what's happened. I think this is how we sometimes get into these patterns with certain individuals in our lives who continually um, do harm to us. So we're not actually seeing, oh, there's a root cause here. Maybe the first time wasn't on purpose, but it's been called out now. And there's intention here behind the harm. And so in Buddhism, the practice of forgiveness isn't to forgive and come back into relationship where we know we will continually be harmed. That would be unwise. That would be unwise. 
instead to continue with the practice of forgiveness. Be, be wise with who you are in relationship with. Who are you interacting with? Are you allowing yourself to be a doormat in some way? So these are really important questions uh, as we start to look at our relationships and how, uh, how we relate with this process of forgiveness and reconciliation. Tanisaro Biko goes on to talk about uh, how we are very much responsible for our conscious choices. That sometimes it gets confusing in um, in these spiritual traditions. That well, you know what's right and what's wrong, what's good and bad, you know, that's all very dualistic and doesn't exist. There can be a glossing over of our own accountability, of each person's accountability, if only because it's not understood correctly. It actually uh, denies the law of karma in those cases, our actions have a ripple effect. Our intentions have a ripple effect that will either give birth to wholesomeness or unwholesomeness, to connection and harmony or harm and sometimes great harm. And so it's really important that we are accountable, that we are paying attention to our actions and that we are accountable to those actions. That is the law of karma, that we will be accountable to those actions, whether they're wholesome or unwholesome. And so it's not something to be glossed over. He says that we should always put ourselves uh, in the other person's place, that all beings are worthy of respect. We should regard those who point out our faults uh, as if they were pointing out treasures. <laughs> That's hard, right? <laughs> Sometimes. It goes on to say that monks, in fact, are required not to show disrespect to people who criticize them, even if they don't plan to abide by the criticism. <laughs> in other words... Uh, we do need to be open. We live in community. It's one of the beautiful things about Sangha, about living in a spiritual community or being a part of a spiritual community is that we can call each other out when we're doing something that's really harmful or something that's just not in alignment with the Dharma or with harmlessness, harmony, creating harmony. And so to see those, those moments, even when they, they, they prick a little bit, we don't like to hear all those things sometimes, but to, 
to at least allow it to come in for reflection as if it was a treasure being offered. And then he, lastly, he states that there are no, and he says, repeat, no, higher purposes that excuse, bre- excuse breaking the basic precepts of ethical behavior. That's a pretty strong statement, and I, I really respect it. I feel like it's something that this tradition offers. There's no excuse for harming another. No matter who you are, whatever your status is, your background, your education, there's no excuse for it. And so when we can hold ourselves to that standard and begin to see how am I living by that standard uh, and being truthful with it and start to see, oh, I'm, I'm actually being kind of harmful in this area or careless in this area beginning to admit the places where we're, we're not meeting that standard. And we're going to not meet it a lot because <laughs> we're valuable. We're very human. But to not feel uh, the added guilt and shame that sometimes comes with it that doesn't allow us to fully own our mistakes, that doesn't allow us to come forward and ask for forgiveness but to see that each one of those moments when we can really come in contact with it and admit that this is something that I did, I, it's not something I want to repeat, please forgive me, that that is a great place of uh, where the possibility of transformation, of deeper understanding, of uh, noble truthfulness can be born. And we can all do that. It's within all of our capabilities. So I want to share with you um, a very simple forgiveness practice. And this is one that can be cultivated, just like any other practice that we do here. It's very similar to the practices we do in the Brahma Vihara, the heart practices, where there's a, a phrase, a line, that can be repeated over and over. And the purpose of the phrase is for us to reflect on harm that we've caused, and harm that's been caused to us, and get in touch with, even if it's just a flicker of intention to open towards forgiveness. It may not be this huge cathartic opening of the heart towards forgiveness. Maybe, in fact, you'll notice as we do it, a slight closing and a feeling of protection that comes in. This would be really quite natural, depending on the circumstance, and not something to worry about or to fear, but just to know that it's part of the process of opening towards forgiveness. We might tense, and then we relax, and then we, our heart tenses again, and then our heart relaxes again with wisdom because we know that to really fully be free, we, we need to incline towards this forgiveness. Wisdom also understands that forgiveness comes in its own time. We can't force it. It has its own timeline. 
And what we can do is set an intention and cultivate the possibility of at least future forgiveness. So I'm going to go through these three uh, different lines. And so what I'd like you to do is find a posture that's comfortable. If it's comfortable for you, you can close your eyes. And this first one is related to uh, our intention to forgiving others. And it's very general. It's It's a very general statement. So it might be that there isn't a specific person that comes to mind. It might just be that you're putting this out to the universe uh, as a practice and not needing to work with a specific individual. Or there might be someone quite specific whom you feel that you've hurt and would like to incline uh, towards the asking of forgiveness. So this is the first line. Actually, before I read it, just to take a moment to be in your body. The mind can get whipped up really quickly in these practices. So it's important to actually start by feeling the body on the chair or the cushion, establishing mindfulness in this way. Feeling the body here, not in the past where, where the transgressions occurred, but actually here, present, in this time. Feel the breath. You might even get in contact with the stillness and uh, the great, I, I think the word is purity of this space that can hold these transgressions and can hold our intentions for forgiveness. This is a really powerful space that we're in, this physical space, the Buddha Hall. So the first line. If I have hurt anyone, knowingly or unknowingly, I ask for your forgiveness. So there might be an image that comes up, a particular person that comes to mind. Or perhaps it's just putting it out to all beings. If I have hurt anyone knowingly or unknowingly, I ask for your forgiveness.
If I have hurt anyone knowingly or unknowingly, I ask for your forgiveness. Because this is a heart practice, sometimes it's helpful to even stay in touch with what's happening at the heart, bringing a hand to the center of the chest, feeling that sense of contact. Sometimes this just helps us stay in touch with the experience of asking for forgiveness rather than tuning out or feeling distant or separated. If I have hurt anyone, knowingly or unknowingly, I ask for your forgiveness. If you'd like to stay with that first phrase, you can continue repeating it to yourself. I'd like to move to the second one. And this can be, the second one is asking or, or offering forgiveness to someone who has knowingly or unknowingly harmed us. And this can be done in two ways. The first one I'll read is if you're ready to forgive. And the second, second one I'll read is uh, more of an inclination to forgive in the future because we're not quite ready yet. Remember, this is not a process we can force. It's not a process we want to force. It really does need to unfold in its own time. So here's the first option. If anyone has hurt me, Knowingly or unknowingly, I forgive you. If anyone has hurt me, knowingly or unknowingly, I forgive you. And if you're not ready for that level of forgiveness then the phrase could be, if, if anyone has hurt me knowingly or unknowingly, know that it is my intention someday to forgive you. 
If anyone has hurt me knowingly or unknowingly, know that it is my intention to someday forgive you. If at any point this particular forgiveness practice becomes too much, it's okay to open your eyes. It's okay to bring your attention back to the body. If you have a metta practice, a loving-kindness practice, you can do that for yourself. And then if you're ready to go back into forgiveness, you can, or just stay where you are, really respecting the process. And then the third phrase is this. For the ways I have hurt others or myself, knowingly or unknowingly, I forgive myself. For the ways I have hurt others or myself, knowingly or unknowingly, I forgive myself.
for the ways I have hurt others or myself, knowingly or unknowingly, I forgive myself. So to end, I'd like to paraphrase number 173 in the Dhammapada, which says that people who recognize their own mistakes and change their ways illuminate the world like the moon when freed from a cloud. People who recognize their own mistakes and change their ways illuminate the world like the moon when freed from a cloud. So we have a little bit of time. I'd like to open it up for questions and discussion. Um, I'd like to hear what that meditation was like, the forgiveness practice. So maybe we can hear from a few of you. And we will pass the mic around. It helps for those of us in the community who need help hearing everybody's voice. And then also it's part of our recording that goes out to the larger community. Well, I was at a neighbor's house this afternoon, and her daughter-in-law dropped in. And um, I tried to talk to her daughter-in-law about my neighbor's um, situation. My neighbor is 102. Um, And um, her daughter-in-law, I thought her daughter-in-law was quite rude to me. Mm. And um, I told my I went home. I told my husband about it, and he thought she was rude. And so I carried it. It, it didn't become consumed by it, but I did carry it with me tonight. And um, I just had um, a glimpse of of how um, the daughter-in-law had something to tell me. She didn't do it 
in a skillful way, um, but kind of that she may be the critic who I should be grateful to. And um, I just feel it's a real blessing to, um, to have come here and heard your, your words of, of wisdom and kindness. Mm. I'm glad that it, it had that effect. <laughs> it's a great example, actually, of just what we do sometimes when it feels like we got something from someone else that you know, we didn't want to hear, we didn't like, and, and how we can hold that in a certain way that just perpetuates the discomfort. And then how, in a moment of seeing it from a different point of view or seeing it in a different light, or just seeing it for what it is, for what we're doing, and then we can let go. And it's so, it can be just that instant sometimes and, and a blessing. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was um, I was kind of confused when you were giving your talk because you were talking about forgiveness and forgiving others, and then all of a sudden, with the reconciliation part, you're mm-hmm. talking about how you say what you did wrong or how you come forward. I mean, it's to reestablish trust, it sounded like. Uh-huh. You come forward and admit something or be vulnerable, essentially. And uh, yes. so I was like, wait, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> and then when I did the practice, you started off with that. And I, it, it was really, um, um, I guess, liberating is one way to say it. But it was just, it, my, it opened my heart. Mm. And to be able to um, ask other people for forgiveness, as opposed to um, getting forgive, being what, what's the word? Getting forgiveness or getting being forgiven, being forgiven or having somebody admit they did something wrong like that. I mean, I'm sure that can help you to be vulnerable or open up, whatever. But that that moment of of um, coming coming forward. And um, and it, it's almost like something. Uh, how do I say this? Mm. It was a very different kind of way of being than <laughs> I think we or I, you know, normally go about in the world. You know, just uh, very selfless. Or uh, I think the experience I had was one of um, regard. I think it was kind of a way of giving regard to another mm-hmm. human being. And, it's beautiful. Um, but in a way that it was uh, honoring your... It was, it was int- very interesting. I'm not sure how to put a lot of words to it, but yeah. that really touched me. And mm-hmm. so, and it struck me, and it was really... Yeah, so I, I just wanted to share that piece. That's great. Thank you. Hi. Um, I I do see that's okay. I do see that I commit transgressions, and you know I apologize for them. But I also consider myself you know very diplomatic, 
And I find there's so many instances where I am in a situation where I just feel like we need to figure it out. And I, and I do apologize. And I don't feel like I've done something to apologize for, but I can mm-hmm. feel that I can see that the person is really hurt and really wants that from me. Mm-hmm. And I see myself as someone who actually does that a lot where I'm, I feel like I'm giving sort of a, a fake apology. Uh-huh. Okay. And I guess I felt a little confused throughout this Dharma talk, thinking, is that a, a good thing or is that a bad thing? Is that mm-hmm. um, helpful? Is that, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, I think the confusion might speak for itself in a sense. I think when we're really offering forgiveness and we're, we're offering it to come back into harmony with ourself and with another person, that's, that's really at the root of it, to, to come back into harmony, to stop causing the harm. There's nothing confusing about that. You know, that's, that's, that's a very, it's a very clear action. Maybe where the confusion is coming from is just the intention of why am I offering this forgiveness? And, it, and, it, and I don't know, so it'll be an exploration for you. But what, it, it, what strikes me is that when we, and I think this isn't just you, I think this is something, I know I've done this before, where if I just offer the quick forgiveness so we can move along, you know, or, a, or not the forgiveness, but ask, uh, the, ask, for, or, yeah, ask for forgiveness and apologize so we can just move on, but not actually uh, owning what, what, what's at the root here. What, what's, uh, what was the actual action that's been harmful? Was there an actual ar- action that was harmful? Or is this person just having a bad day <laughs> and I'm taking, you know, credit for it. Or, you know, we, we can sometimes gloss over that accountability piece. Accountability, we can only be accountable for ourselves and our own actions. We can't be accountable for somebody else's. They have to be accountable for that. So all, our, our, what we need is to really be, come into contact with our own accountability Part of the process in relationship with someone, if it's something that we're doing in front of someone else, is to listen. Remember, like Tanisaro Bhikkhu was saying, um, you know, and, and Linda, you were pointing this too, when someone has something to share with us about a transgression or something that was harmful, that we really listen to it. As, open, as open-hearted as possible, that we don't just cut it off as, that's crap, <laughs> you know, or that's not true. That we really listen to it and, and allow it to come in and, and see, is this really true? And maybe it's not always true. Maybe, maybe there's a little bit that's true, but maybe not all of it. But the only way we can really uh, see our own accountability and then from there move into the next wise action, which might be asking for forgiveness. It might be more wise speech and dialogue or wise some other wise action. Um, it might just be, I don't really understand, but I want to 
I want to heal what's happening here. There's a rift here. But I'm not quite seeing my part in it. But I want to. And so from there, you know, really looking closely, using our mindfulness, using our Brahma-vihara practices to do that. But if we just gloss over to move on to the next thing, then there's nothing to be learned there. There's nothing... You know, it's, there's no soil for growth there. And in fact, we're more doomed to repeat actions that are harmful because we're not actually seeing clearly that, that it's happening. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And it mm-hmm. sounds like um, you were using examples of the monastic tradition of how there's a a tradition of, you know, for instance, sitting down and uh, you know, saying, this is what I think your transgression was, and uh-huh. oh, I'm sorry for that transgression. So, mm-hmm. it, I guess it's a little more complicated than that, basically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We're in the lay world. <laughs> and uh, it is more complicated than that in some ways. But again, remember, uh, we, can, we can clear our own complications, you know, our own side of the complication by by being really clear within ourself. And um, it may still stay messy on the other side. And that's not something that any of us can do anything about. That's, you know, we're all individually responsible for our own messy side. (laughs) And it's up to us, our gift to each other and to ourself is to untangle our, our piece of it and to look closely and to understand. That's, that's all we can do. And so it, it, even in, let me tell you, in the monasteries, it's not all unmessy <laughs> either. It can be very messy. You have a bunch of people living in close quarters, very little privacy, and they're all very human. <laughs> so there's that. And there's a commitment there that is sometimes lacking in our relationships here in the lay world. Um, but again, we can, we can work on our own stuff. And that's, that's, that's what we can do. And in a, in a big way, we end up being an example of that when we can be open and, and really um, demonstrate what that looks like. Um, so in a way, there can be an act of compassionate action in in doing this practice for ourselves, because we're showing others an, another way, another possibility that maybe they've never been exposed to before. So it's those, those the karmic unfolding of, uh, of doing this practice can, can have those ripple effects that we, we can't predict or understand how it, the wholesomeness uh, beats out and who it affects. But it's, it does beat out. It does affect uh, our larger world. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we are just at time. And I want us to do a, um, a closing, a dedication of merit. And because my guess is, for most of you, someone came to mind this evening... Uh, or perhaps there was a real strong sense of yourself 
um, and the forgiveness practice for yourself that came in this evening. And so if you'd like to just bring in uh, a particular person or just yourself to the dedication of um, your practice here this evening, you can just do that silently in your mind. Wishing that the wholesomeness of, of being here, of practicing in this way, of hearing the Dharma, of being part of Sangha, that it be for the benefit of this particular person in your mind. And in that same way, we can then extend that dedication to all beings, excluding none. May the benefits of our time here together and cultivation together be for the good of all beings everywhere. And that all beings find contentment in their lives, that they be safe from inner and outer harm, that they, that we all find health in our mind and in our body, that we experience the power of forgiveness and allow that to guide us towards more letting go and ultimate freedom. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.